Hi, and welcome to the In the Cortex podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Paloma Garcia. And I am Danny Perricone. And we're the founders of In the Cortex, an online community with programs that show people the tools that they need to change their lives through brain reorganization. No medication, just movement. When you get your brain out of survival mode and regulate your nervous system, you start to live in the fun, logical part of the brain, the cortex. Subscribe today and learn how to live your best in the cortex life. And now, on to today's episode. Let's start out with a quick cortex moment from one of our members. Okay, so picture this. You have a young boy, my son, 13, 14 years old, just getting into adolescence, big growth spurt. Uh, trying to socialize, and he has massive social anxiety. And the social anxiety comes from not being able to interact. He always feels like he's being interrupted. He can't join in conversations easily. He has funny things to say when he writes. He's hilarious. When he's on his own, he's hilarious. But he always feels like he's being interrupted or that he can't participate fully and interact. That anxiety spills out sometimes in anger, sometimes just a little bit sad, a little bit down. Um, Just not a happy situation for a 13, 14-year-old boy, especially when it's your own son. Now, fast forward, this kid is now grown. He lives in, in a foreign country. He's a podcaster. He's a public speaker. He owns his own company and has tons of friends. He's extremely funny extremely sociable. So what happened? What made the difference? We ran into a methodology that had to do with creeping and changed his life and changed our lives as a family too, because nobody wants to have an unhappy or anxious family member. And that creeping and crawling allowed my son to reorganize his brain, to organize his thoughts, to be able to speak quickly, got rid of his anxiety, and turned him into a, another person. I know it kind of might sound incredible, but people that have knew him before and people that know him now can attest to this. He is a different person, changed his life, and he became a better version of the great person he already was. Okay, Danny, today we're going to talk about uh, something that lots of people relate to, which is anxiety. And we want to start out this episode with saying that we feel you. We are here from a space of empathy and compassion and talking about something that's not easy for anybody to navigate. We're talking about where it's coming from, and we're going to tell you a few things that you can do to diminish your anxiety, both in the short and the long term. So first, let's take a second to to remember what anxiety feels like. If you're somebody who's ever felt anxious, which is most of us, slash probably everybody, at some point in your life, close your eyes. And just think about where do you feel that anxiety? I know for me, for example, it's usually in my stomach. It's like in the pit of my stomach. I know some people feel like nauseous. They feel like their heartbeat starts to race. They feel like maybe even a cold sweat. They'll feel it in their chest. Uh, And of course, that goes usually accompanied with racing thoughts, right? Of whatever's making you anxious. Sometimes people don't even know why they're anxious. They're just feeling this this feeling and there's no reason for it. So Danny, tell us a little bit about this. Why do we experience this and when is it normal? 
there is a spectrum here of what is normal. And a lot of times we can experience as humans whenever we're walking to a new experience or something we haven't had and baseline for understanding what to expect. We start to get that feeling of like, whoa, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Something new is happening. It feels a little uncomfortable because it's something I haven't experienced before. So in that case, that's when we have that anxiety. We have a little bit of the butterflies in our stomach and we kind of have that prep for something new's coming. I need to be ready for whatever's coming my way. I'm in an alert state. Then it goes a little bit further. If you're someone who does really feel anxiety deeply and it's your everyday experience, that's when it starts to stop you dead in your tracks. And that's why it's kind of got that spectrum of when is anxiety something that we all experience? And then when is it too much? And I can't just get on with my everyday life. Exactly. That's the challenge is when it starts to interfere with your everyday life and you can't push yourself into these new experiences or even do just your day-to-day activities because you're constantly feeling anxious or you just always have that undercurrent of like anxiety, 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 right? No matter what you're doing during the day. And so let's just talk really quickly about a few statistics. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. affecting 40 million adults in the United States. And there was an increase in people reporting high levels of anxiety during, of course, the pandemic. So it went from 19.8 in 2018 to 19 to 24.2 in 2020, 2021. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? Yeah, the pandemic really rocked everybody at some point on this planet. So what do you think about when you hear the term survival mode? And is it somebody who's thinking of like a caveman running from a saber-toothed tiger, usually my favorite example? Um, (laughs) Is it the show survivor? Is it a child that falls into a pool that can't swim? Is it a car coming at you while you're walking across the street? Or even a pandemic, that definitely was a thing that put a lot of people into survival mode. Or you're someone who's like, huh, I've never actually thought of survival mode. I have no idea what you're actually talking about. So let's break down what is survival mode. Survival mode is when your brain and your body are reacting to a stressful life or death situation. There's no long-term or medium-term plan in that moment. It's all about what is happening right here and right now. So for the examples of a child falling into the pool that can't swim, that's a right here, right now moment. You're not going to sit there and contemplate and be like, hmm, I wonder if they're going to get themselves out. You're like, no, jump into action, save the child out of the pool. Or a car coming at you down the street, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a car driving down the street at me. Do I sit there and think out my different things? No, you immediately jump out of the way and survive. And that is what your survival brain is designed to do. And if we go back to the caveman example, that was obviously very relevant in caveman times. We are not being chased by tigers <laughs> anymore. Um, I mean, obviously, unless a tiger gets out at the zoo and or you're living out in the middle of nowhere and there's tigers everywhere. People are. Some people, Some people are, yeah. do for sure. But, and I think people who are listening to this don't experience that on the daily. So the examples of, you know, more common examples of a car coming off the road and threatening you, that's when you want that survival brain to turn on. Um, and we want there just to be that reaction. However, there is an instance where, or many of them, where stressors are coming at us And your brain is constantly in that state of, is this real survival or not? And if you already have a dysregulated nervous system, or if you're prone to being in survival mode 
more times than not, you're going to experience everything coming in as a real threat. So we always like to break down what's a perceived threat and versus a real threat. So the real threats are the ones I mentioned, child falling into the pool, car coming at you, the pandemic for a lot of us, right? But then the perceived threat could be something as something we've all experienced, like someone left you on red on a text message, right? They didn't respond to you right away, especially in today's instantly gratifying world. (laughs) Um, Missing a deadline at work or forgetting something when you needed to bring something with you and you forgot it. So basically anything that's not going how you want it to go but it's not considered a life or death situation. Those are perceived threats. That is your brain still interpreting the information as stressful and still turning on all the survival centers, all of the survival hormones like adrenaline and cortisol that get your brain and body pumped up and primed and ready to take on whatever is coming their way. So most of the time though, after you experience something like that and it was a perceived threat, say you were left on red, They didn't respond to you right away. And you went down that whole entire spiral of, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I do? And you maybe start texting them like crazy, like, why aren't you responding to me? And and then they're like, oh, I just didn't have my phone. It was charging. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all those things I just said and did. And now you feel really embarrassed. And you're like, I can't believe I did that. And that was because your brain did not have the ability or the bandwidth to zoom out and look at all the options because you were in survival mode. And that just shows that that's not living in the cortex. That's just a moment of, hey, I was totally responding to right here, right now, full on reaction mode. And yeah, and nothing ever really good comes out of those moments. Well, after, you know, most of us have a disorganized brain and dysregulated nervous system, brain that's stuck in survival mode from the time we're little, because that's when we missed out on that movement that preps the brain to understand the survival brain and actually operate from the cortex, right? And so after spending years and years and years responding to this, uh, to your life in this way, you're creating these really, really strong ingrained neural pathways, right? In your brain. And this becomes your go-to response. And we've all seen it in somebody or some of us have experienced it where the second something starts to happen, that's maybe not going your way, or you start to think maybe something bad's going to happen or something's going to, you know, be out of alignment with what you wanted. Boom. You go back into that fight or flight reaction, right? So it's fight. You might get really angry, start screaming, throwing things, flight, You might just like avoid, 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 get away, right? Or freeze. Sometimes people are just like, okay, genuinely don't know what to do. And you just stop dead in your tracks, like you said earlier, right? And so we all have those reactions that we sometimes, we want to get out of them, but we just can't. And so there's a lot going on there, of course, because neuroplasticity works both ways. It works for the amazing changes you can experience when you're doing something new, when you're learning new things, when you're reorganizing your brain, but it also works in the other way where it really does solidify these go-to reactions that sometimes are not logical and they're definitely not serving us. There are a lot of reasons for this. It happens because of our genetics, right? Just an individual, a group of genes that are involved with who we are as humans, there's epigenetics as well, which is how the environment, the behaviors can cause changes that affect the way that our genes are working in our day-to-day life. A lot of time that comes from our parents, what what they've lived, what they've gone through, and that gets transmitted when we're born. We also have our brain chemistry. Everybody has a different mixture of neurotransmitters and chemicals going on in their brain. If you, for example, naturally have a low level of serotonin, then your brain is going to be more prone to anxiety in your day-to-day life, right? 
We all have the norepinephrine that totally spikes when we go into that fight or flight mode. And these chemicals can become addictive and we are without knowing, we don't want to go into that fight or flight mode, but our brain can become addicted to just reacting that way because the truth is adrenaline is very, very powerful. And sometimes our brain doesn't know how to get it. And so if we're not somebody who understands, oh, maybe I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go for a run or I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do something else to, to kind of balance my, my brain out, do some brain work, right? Do some ITC work. Then a lot of us will go back into that really, really strong fight or flight mode connection. Cause the truth is in the moment, it doesn't feel great, but afterward we have that adrenaline release you know, your brain pretty gets a lot of what it was seeking out. Our personality is also going to affect the way that we react to things. And of course, life events, different traumas that we've had, different things that have happened in our lives. And this is where the movement comes in, right? If we are somebody who didn't move enough in that first year of life, and this is something we talked about in our last episode, if we didn't get enough of that movement in the first year of life, our primitive brain did not finish developing and understand what Danny is saying, how to, how to d- distinguish, communicate with the logical brain, which is the cortex to distinguish what is a real threat and what is a perceived threat, which is why we end up getting into this cycle, this loop of anxiety, 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 anxiety reactions. And it's really important to know too, that if you do go through something that's traumatic, that survival brain is wired and designed to come back online and to take over, to help you through the task. And then the key part is then to help it reintegrate and lie dormant again, waiting for the next survival situation to happen. So that's an important part. So even if you did do all the movements as a child and you did get them, your brain totally wired to where it needed to be, then you still could have moments of it coming online. And then that's where a lot of PTSD comes from. When we have a lot of our vets that come back, they have a lot of moments of reverting back and it's because their brain went back into survival and they didn't bring it back on into cortex. What do we now know about the subconscious stuff? Like, what about that? There's so much other stuff that's going on that we talk about. And that's really, if you think about it, it's really just your script on how you handle life. Like Paloma mentioned, what did your caretakers do? How did they handle situations? That was when you were in a critical time of just downloading it. So you think about your upbringing. You think about how that is now transferred into your life. We mentioned this in a previous episode of, oh my gosh, I just sounded like my mom. Where did that come from? That's that subconscious. So this is where our attachment stuff comes from, our programming, our learned response. So that's something to also take into account when we're talking about anxiety and how you are perceiving events and stressors in your life. Exactly. And what the thing is, now we get into kind of what do we do about it, right? Most models out there uh, are top down. We're thinking we've all heard the, the typical count to 10, take a deep breath, count to 10 and think positive thoughts, right? And that's kind of bleeds into that toxic positivity where you're like, I can't, <laughs> I'm in survival mode. I cannot think positively. That is the literal thing that my brain is struggling with right now. It's only looking at the right here and the right now. And that is where we come in and we're doing bombs up, right? We need to get the brain, the nervous system regulated so that it's able to get out of that survival mode much, much, much quicker. And like Danny said, zoom out and look at the reality of what's going on and decide how do I react to How do I respond to this rather than letting our primitive brain react? And this is how we're designed to operate. This is why we have our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. Um, so we have 
the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight reaction, you know, survival brain. But then we're always supposed to go back into the parasympathetic nervous system afterward to rest and digest and let our bodies and our brains process what just happened. And that's where we, where we were talking about kind of that adrenaline moment where you're like, Ooh, you feel it after a release, you feel it after you've done something big, right? That's something that we are all supposed to go back into. Unfortunately, the way that we're all wired nowadays, or a lot of us are wired nowadays, we're spending most of our time in the sympathetic nervous system in that reaction state. Yes. So while this episode is focusing mostly and just focusing on the topic of anxiety, it's very much aligned with the very first pillar that we talk about at in the cortex, which is the pons. The pons is the part of the brain that is really the reptilian primitive part of the brain. It's developing from zero to five months of life, and it has many jobs that are very critical in helping, and this is where it's interesting. Anxiety is very much rooted in being able to manage your fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn response. And that is exactly what the pawn's job is to do as well. And now we're not trying to say that we're curing anything and that, hey, by doing this, all of a sudden you have no more challenges in life. We're just showing that there's a very giant overlap between anxiety and the pawns and a lot of other functions of the pawns, regulating your automatic functions like breathing and digestion. What happens when you're in an anxious state? You're not breathing. You actually forget. I've had so many people tell us I've just realized I wasn't breathing. I never took yeah. a deep breath. And if you think about oh, it, it's oh. up in the upper chest and you're, <sighs> when you're in that really hyper um, ventilating state where you're just breathing through your chest instead of breathing deep down in your belly, digestion is off. So many of us complain of stomach aches when we're really anxious. Again, that's the same function of the pons is being able to regulate that automatic eye movements. And if you think about from the survival standpoint, your eyes are tracking and looking for negative perceived or anything that could have harm to you. So being able to move your eyes horizontally automatically should be an automatic function, right? But if you don't have that in place, and that's where your cortex is constantly taking over and having to do more work, and that's where you then have to learn how to compensate. So this is where anxiety and the pawns development overlaps because if your pawns is not wired to do the basic functions, your cortex has to take over. And that means it's exhausted by the end of the day because if your eyes aren't tracking horizontally automatically, then your cortex has to figure out different ways to get that job done. So maybe you have to turn your whole head. And the list goes on and on. So there's a lot of overlap here, regulating your sleep, your emotional regulation, your vestibular input, your hearing, your motor control, your pain and temperature sensation, your proprioceptive system. All of those functions are coming from the pons. And those are all things that get altered if you're also someone who is experiencing anxiety on a daily basis. So Paloma, how do you develop the pons? The pons develops when babies are creeping and... You've heard us talk about this before, hopefully, but we don't mean creeping like stalking your ex's MySpace page. We mean <laughs> creeping like when babies, uh, when babies are on the floor, they're on their belly and they're moving from point A to point B. It kind of looks like an army crawl. And most babies will do this movement from zero to about five months of life. We don't want to get too technical with the, the timelines because everybody's brain is completely different. And some people need more movement than others. And that's what's developing the pawns. And so 
that's how we can see where somebody's brain left off in development. We add in the cortex. We can see you move on the floor and say, oh, you're at 20% development, 50%, 90%, right? Um, but if you're right now curious, by the way, if you want to know kind of like what your development is, you can always get an assessment with us or you can take our, our brain organization quiz, which is linked in the show notes. And that goes more off of like the behaviors that are associated with different parts of the brain that can be underdeveloped. But it's always a fun thing to see and see if it resonates with you, by the way. Um, and so what about if people can't get onto the floor right now and start doing our program? <laughs> let's let's give them a little tip, Danny. Yeah. So getting taking the quiz is a really good step because you're going to have you're going to associate all the behaviors there and you'll be able to see it. But then there's always the actual movement that comes on and people go, oh, my gosh, this totally makes sense. And just so you can experience a little taste of what we do here at ITC, where we really want you to feel in your body how to calm yourself immediately. Now, this is hard to do if you're in survival mode because you're not, you don't actually have access to this. So it's a good thing to try now while you're in your cortex. And the more you times you try it, like Paloma mentioned earlier, the more that you will then be wired to go do this movement when the time comes. So it's just a reminder. So is this called a brain hookup? It is from Brain Gym. We always like to make sure we give credit where credit is due. And what you're going to do is if you're sitting or you're standing, doesn't matter what position you're in or lying down, you're going to cross your ankles. So notice if you put right on top of left or left on top of right for your ankles, you can also sit crisscross. You can also just take your whole leg and cross it over. Um, and then you're going to take your hands out in front of you and your palms are facing each other uh, as your palms or your thumbs are straight up in the to the ceiling. You're going to turn your thumbs down. So now your thumbs are pointing down to the ground. And now remember whatever ankle went on top is the same hand that goes on top. So you're going to cross your arm over the other hand and you're going to interlace your fingers. And then once you're in this position, it's going to feel natural just to pull your fist under and into your chest and then from here, you're going to take your tongue and put it up to the roof of your mouth. If you're having a hard time walking through that, you can always check out the video that's in our show notes, and it's a lot easier to see that visually. So holding the tongue to the roof of your mouth is actually where your tongue should always naturally rest, but it's also really good for helping calm down that limbic system, which is in charge of your emotions. Putting yourself into this position is calming all your energy. And if you think about it, if you've ever been in an argument, which I'm sure not a lot of you have been, just kidding, wink, wink, um, you're going to um, naturally cross your arms over your chest or and a lot of times our, our culture and society think, oh, that person's body language is so turned off. The way they have their body is just closed off like that. We see it so different here at ITC. We see it as you are now controlling and calming your system because you're bringing all that energy and bringing it in to calm itself down. And also when your tongue is on the roof of your mouth, it's also activating the vagus nerve, which is a big, big piece in helping you calm all that emotional sensation that you've got going on. So try that brain hookup, try calming yourself, try to hold yourself in this position while maybe if you have a child in the home who's going into their survival state, you hold this position and say nothing because boredom is the best way out of survival mode and into the cortex and just help calm your energy so that way you can calm the energy of people around you. This is our go-to move whenever we have like a presentation to do or we need to help somebody else stay calm. We just control our energy and calm ourselves down and then it has this amazing effect of carrying over to everybody else in the room. Absolutely. And that's a, a once you try it, you'll see the difference that you've 
feel and that you notice in everybody else in the room. But we will say this is not addressing the root. This is just kind of like some a tool for you to use when you're feeling like you're about to go into that mode, into that anxious feeling, into that stressed out feeling. But this will help you in the moment. It's not going to help you in the long term. In the long term, what you want to do is get your brain organized and get that solid neurological foundation you need, hopefully with us. If not, you can do it on your own. But by doing the creeping, the crawling and integrating those primitive reflexes that are still getting in the way and really keeping you in that primitive brain. So that was our episode for today. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. Make sure to share this podcast with everybody. We really, really are grateful for you to listen in, listening and helping us spread the word that the brain can change and life can get easier when you live in your cortex. Make sure to follow us at in the cortex underscore US. That's our Instagram. Our TikTok is in underscore the underscore cortex. Our Facebook is also in the cortex underscore US. Our website, www.inthecortex.com. And last but not least, because you've listened to our podcast, you can use promo code Brainiac for $10 off your first ITC payment. So thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Bye.